go to uh, John chapter 1. Uh, Jenny was saying how we've been here, we've been in England since 2004. We went over there to Yorkshire to um, see if we could help out. Uh, I've always had a British passport and um, I never got my Australian passport until about a, uh, a month before we left Australia. So uh, anyway, we went over there on a, I went over there on my British passport and um, and we were initially in Goul, which is a little village uh, in the East Riding of Yorkshire. And we were there holding meetings until about six months ago when uh, a lot of the folks that were there um, either left and moved to another assembly or else just fell away altogether. And uh, it was no longer sort of central. We were holding our meeting and there was only just a few of us. And at one stage it was just Jenny and I really. We had meetings in our house for a while. And then we, uh, we had a bit of interest around Wakefield which is uh, <clears throat> another little uh, town, which is actually a city, near Leeds. And um, so we looked around and found a, a really great meeting hall uh, in, in Wakefield. It's a, an old uh, grade one listed building, which is built in the 1500s. It used to be a school in Elizabethan times. And it's uh, because it's grade one listed, they're not allowed to demolish it or do anything to it. And so they built this brand new shopping center around this grade one listed building and that's where we have our meetings and the shopping center is open seven days a week so uh, there's lots of people going past we have a big banner that we put out the front of our meetings and uh, we've had quite a few people come through and uh, we've got uh, a whole lot of different saints now fellowshipping and things are moving along quite nicely so uh, keep us in your prayers we're having a great time over there okay uh, John chapter one and um Pastor Jock started off talking about um, Numbers chapter 14 where Israel um, uh, was uh, going to move into the promised land and there were various ones there that discouraged them. Let's just go back to Numbers chapter 13 and um, this is the sort of the starting scripture that got me thinking about what I'm going to talk about here today. And just the last verse in Numbers 13 and it says... um, this is the discouragement that uh, people felt when they those um, when those people brought up the evil report. In verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And so what had happened here is that they'd become so discouraged that. Um, this is how they perceived themselves. The problem wasn't really with the giants or, or the things that, uh, the challenges that lay ahead of them. The problem was that they'd forgotten who they were. And, uh, their perception of themselves wasn't, wasn't right. And so, uh, they were, they felt unable to deal with this challenge. And so, uh, the last, uh, few times in Yorkshire, I've had a bit of a title to, uh, a talk and it's, uh, entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? And uh, this is not the same talk again, Jenny. She's been hearing this for a few days now, a few uh, meetings now. But um, in, the, in the UK, we have a, a program on the telly called Who Do You Think You Are? I don't know if you've had it here, but what they do is they find somebody that's um, famous, a celebrity of some sort, a TV personality, and they, uh, they go back into their family history and uh, trace right back to uh, as far as they can go back. They actually had one program where they traced um, a particular guy right back to the royal family and through the records there back to to Adam, right through the house of David all the way back to Adam. 
But uh, anyway, they, they do this, and, um, and the end result is that the, the celebrity who's having their, their ancestry unfolded, it has quite a profound effect on them. And uh, they, once the program's gone through, and they've, uh, they take them to the various places and try and dig up the records and everything else, and they end up having quite a profound change in outlook and attitude to who they are and, uh, and, uh, and what, they're, what they're about. And so I'd like to perhaps think today, who do you think you are? Who do we think we are? I think it's very important that we realize who we are because more and more in this world we're faced with the most incredible challenges that uh, try and rob us of the understanding of who we are. And if we lose sight of who we are, then we're going to lose the battle. We're going to lose the battle. We're just not going to survive. We'll become religious and uh, uh, the revival that we're experiencing will just fade out if we, if we forget who we are. And there's just one verse here in John chapter 1, and we just read about this in a couple of verses here, in verse 12. It says here, But as many as received him, to them gave he power, or the, uh, the competency, the word power there is not the word dunamis, uh, where it, uh, it appears elsewhere, but it's, uh, it just means competency. As many as received him, to them gave he the competency to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so this concept to being born not of the flesh, but being born of God, is a completely new thing that began uh, after Jesus' resurrection. A whole new type of human being that had never been seen before on the face of the earth started to appear from the day of Pentecost onwards. And these are people that have been born of God. And up until this time, there was nobody, except for perhaps Adam, we might say he was born of God, he was a son of God. But he wasn't born again as we are. And um, being born of God, we're part of a, a unique race of people that has never been seen before on the face of the earth up until, as I said, the day of Pentecost onwards. And so I'd just like to explore what that means to be born of God, to be begotten of God. And uh, it says in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. So it talks there about how they beheld his glory. And uh, this glory wasn't a, a halo. It wasn't a shining face or beautiful long hair. You know you know the Mormon Jesus, where they have this beautiful guy with the uh, beautiful features and long flowing hair and the dove blue eyes, you know. Nothing to do with that at all. He had the glory of his Father in him, and he was full of grace and truth. Uh, he was someone who was, um, uh, you know, the grace of God implies uh, giving. He freely gave, and um, uh, he was full of truth, and um, he had integrity. He had um, he had power. He had uh, everything that his father had was placed in him as a human being, and this is the glory that we've received. We've received of his fullness. The Bible says we've received grace for grace. And uh, that's an amazing thing. And this, this nature or this privilege is reserved for this unique 
race of people that have been born of God. And um, there are no more Abrahams out there. There are no more Davids out there. You won't find them. There are no more... If you go right through all the prophets, you know, Isaiah and Ezekiel and the last one being Malachi in about 425 B.C., they all faded out, these uh, men of faith. And uh, when Jesus came to this earth, it was truly a dark time. John the Baptist, of course, was the greatest of the prophets, and the Bible says that uh, he was full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, but he wasn't, he wasn't born of God. He wasn't a son of God, or a as we are, he wasn't a daughter of God, of course, but, you know, we are sons and daughters of the living God. We're part of this unique race. And if you're not a son or a daughter of God, you're just not in it. There is no alternative other than to be a son of God or a daughter of God. And so, that's an amazing concept. We are a unique, special people. And what religion would try and do to us is, is take the edges off that and make us the same as them and try and just make us religious people who are just good living people, which we are, and make us into people that, uh, that do nice things and even might work a few miracles and do things like that. But they would try and take away from us the notion that we are the sons of God and the daughters of God. And if you, um, if you look at the Islamic faith, they are absolutely abhorred by the fact that you call yourself a son or a daughter of God. They vocalize it, but uh, the world, the rest of the world, doesn't approve of that also. And so we should never lose sight of who we are, because if we do, we just become religious people that have uh, maybe, we might, even think, we might even be filled with the Holy Spirit, but there are many spirit-filled people that don't realize they're a son or a daughter of God, and, and that's an important thing for us to grab hold of. Let's go to First um, Peter chapter 1. I just thought we'd just go through a few of the things that, uh, that come with being born of God. First Peter chapter 1. And we read here from um, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. And so this plan that uh, there should be this unique uh, type of human being, group of human beings known as Christians, on the face of the earth, was arranged um, well, well uh, in, in advance by God the Father, He's arranged for us to be in this situation. And uh, we've been sanctified through the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This sprinkling of the blood is what keeps us clean from uh, the sin that we were once embroiled in when we were just ordinary human beings. You know, uh, We've still got a human nature to us, but the, the blood of sprinkling, which was scattered abroad, it... Um, you know, when the priest used to sprinkle the people, he'd, uh, he'd cast the blood abroad. It would land on everybody. It wasn't just sort of a drop here and there, but it was scattered abroad upon the people. And that's what uh, keeps us free from our sin and keeps us as this unique type of person in the Lord there. It also talks there about obedience. And uh, the way that we maintain our status as these unique people is through obedience. Very important that there are a lot of spiritual people around today. I found in, um, and you've probably found also that uh, they might be spirit-filled, but they're not obedient. 
And uh, very important us, even in our fellowship, not just to pay lip service perhaps to our pastors and our oversight, but to be obedient to the Word of God. And one of the gifts today was how precious the, the Word of God is, that we should read it and understand it and find out from the Bible what God wants us to do and do that. We've got to do that. And that will keep us in this state of um, of being uh, these unique people, the sons and daughters of the living God. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so once again, it's, um, it's by means of this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that we are... We are now sons and daughters of the living God and we have this lively hope. We've been begotten again. He's begotten us again. We are born of God now. We've been born again. This unique people. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so we have this inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. You know, if you've got an inheritance on this earth and, um, you know, it's, you're, you're liable to be done out of it, it can happen. It's happened to people. They've been done out of their inheritance and uh, it might not be quite, you know, it might depreciate or, uh, you know, that's the way the world is. But this inheritance that we have is never going to fade away. It's incorruptible and it's reserved in heaven for us and we're kept by the power of God. Uh, through salvation, uh, ready to be revealed in the last time, you know. And um, you know, in England, we uh, we're constantly, um, uh, you know, in the news and one thing or another, seeing stories of the royal royalty of the royal family. And uh, Prince Charles is the next one in line for uh, the throne in England. And then, if he uh, decides not to take it up or he passes away, then his son, Prince William, and his wife Kate are going to take that up. Now, uh, that inheritance, that, that entitlement is his because of his birth. And there's nobody that can take that away unless somebody can come and prove that, uh, they have, uh, and they have legitimate descendancy from the current queen. Charles is the son of the Queen of England. And so he's entitled to that inheritance. And it's the same with us because we are born of God then we're entitled to that inheritance and there's nobody else that can that can interfere and take that inheritance away from us. Not even people in the Old Testament can take that away because they are not born of God. They have their place in God's plan. Abraham, David and all the other faithful uh, uh, people of old, old times there. But none of them were born of God, begotten of God as we are. And so this inheritance is unique to us and we're going to look at that a bit later on, what this inheritance, part of what this inheritance is there. Uh, it goes on to say there, picking it up from um, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So this is talking about all those great uh, men and women of faith in the Old Testament who uh, had uh, some foreknowledge of what was going to come to us. They had a bit of an insight into it. In verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. 
And so the Spirit of Christ was in these people, but uh, they still were not the same as we are. They had some inkling into, uh, into this glory that was to follow the resurrection of Christ, the sufferings and the resurrection of Christ, and uh, that glory is what we are, the sons and daughters of God. They, they could see for themselves, perhaps, that they were never going to be the sons and daughters of God as we are, but they, they prophesied of it, and they foresaw it, but they never entered into what we have entered into. Of all people that have ever lived, we are a unique generation. There's never been a people such as us who have been redeemed from their sin, that have been, um, you know, uh, taken. Pastor Jock read out today about how Paul was sent to uh, turn the people from uh, from darkness unto light, from Satan uh, into the kingdom of God, unto God. And so we are unique in that that is what has happened to us. Abraham was never redeemed from his sin by being born again as we are. And so from being an enemy of righteousness, from being by nature the children of wrath, we're now the sons and daughters of the living God. And that makes us something special that we need to really hang on to there. So yeah, uh, verse 13. So even the angels, it says there in verse 12, uh, were not able to understand or appreciate this. Even they uh, are not in the position that we're in there. Verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought, be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So once again, the emphasis there on being obedient, finding out what God wants us to do, and keeping a check on that on a daily basis. And uh, we do that by... You know, if the only, if the only um, uh, sort of encouragement and the only um, direction you get is at a meeting, it's not going to be enough. You've got to find out for yourself from the Word of God and, and be obedient to the Lord because of your conviction, because of your love for Him, as we heard today. You know, uh, uh, this obedience is what really makes it work, you know, and, uh, and to be holy, for He is holy. We, you know, we're not to fashion ourselves according to our former lusts, which is, uh, we had no respect, we were flippant, we were disregarding of the things of God and his people, and many of us used to mock and ridicule the Lord and his ways there. But we're to be holy now, and we're to work at that, you know, by uh, our prayer and reading of the scriptures there. Okay, let's go to, um, uh, where are going to go now? Just down in verse um, 22 of the same chapter, it says there, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Now once again, the emphasis there on how we have been born of God now. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. And... Uh, it's a great chapter that we probably all know very well about the uh, great heroes and heroines of faith of Old Testament times. And we read there in uh, verse 1, uh, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. So there's a great list of, um, of the elders, the uh, people of Old Testament, uh, heroes of Old Testament times, and they obtained a good report, it says here, by their faith. And uh, further down there in verse 13, it says, uh, These all died in faith, 
It starts off with Abel and works the way through um, Enoch and Noah and uh, Abraham and Sarah. And it says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, uh, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And of course that city is the place of the resurrection, the kingdom of God. And uh, they saw that afar off, but uh, they never received the promise. And uh, if you read on, it talks about various others, about Moses and Joseph, and, uh, and then it talks about Rahab, and uh, verse 32 about Gideon and Barak and Samson, of all the various others there. And down in verse 39 it says, And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And this being made perfect comes about at our resurrection. And uh, we can just tie that in with a few scriptures here. It makes it all fit. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 5. Nice to be able to put together a logical sequence of things from the scripture. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Talking about Jesus here. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation on all them that obey him. So Jesus was made perfect when he was raised from the dead. The fact that he was raised from the dead proved that he'd done the right thing, that he'd been totally obedient to his father, that he'd carried out his father's will, and uh, he had a, he'd, uh, he'd finished the course, he'd obtained the redemption, that was necessary for mankind there. And uh, so his perfection was at his resurrection. And so we are going to be made perfect, back in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be made perfect at our resurrection. And those others, those great heroes and heroines of faith, they're not going to precede us. This resurrection is something that we're going to enjoy first. We're going to be the first raised from the dead. Jesus was the first fruits. We might just look at that as well. And um, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, and in verse twenty, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits and afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So he is the first fruits. He is the first one to have been raised from the dead. And uh, at his coming, we are going to be raised up from uh, raised up into, the, into his kingdom. We're going to be raised up. And uh, so uh, this is a unique privilege reserved for the sons and daughters, those that have been born of God there. Verse 24, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, talking about the millennium here, for he must reign till he hath put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he hath said all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son himself, the Son also himself, be subject unto him that put all things under him, 
that God may be all in all. And so uh, uh, we are a partaker of this first fruits, and uh, that is that is um, that's our inheritance to be uh, part of that first fruits, that that initial resurrection. Praise the Lord. Let's go to um, Revelation 14. Just a few other things to do with that. Talking about the uh, the first fruits, Revelations 14. And verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So here's that number that the Jehovah's Witness like to revel in. But uh, really what it's saying is uh, 144,000 is multiples of 12, which is just talking about the divine government in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns, which we are, uh, the overcomer will inherit the kingdom of God and we will rule and reign with him. So it's talking about the likes of you and I who have um, maintained our stand in the Lord and our appreciation of who we are and have walked with the Lord and been faithful. In verse 2, and it says, and I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. So this is talking about the likes of you and I. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Uh, so this is not talking about uh, people that are unmarried. It's talking about uh, now, in, in the scripture, there were there was the there was the uh, the virtuous woman, which was uh, the Lord's church, and then there was the strange woman, which is religion. And so, it's talking spiritually here about those that have not been defiled with the strange women of religion. And it's a bit unfair, really, isn't it? They put ladies; they use ladies for that, but uh, that's the way it is. So, um, so these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits, and to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And so as we lead the life of an overcomer, and as we are obedient to the Lord and his word, then uh, we can see this as being, we can see ourselves in these verses, or we should be able to see ourselves in these verses here, the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Praise the Lord. Let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 12. So, here we are. There's this uh, unique race of people there. And we're just going to read here from Hebrews uh, chapter 12, and starting in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, those great heroes and heroines of the Old Testament, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, this is something that uh, we have to engage in. This chastening, and the word chastening perhaps in our, in our language implies being beaten up, you know, verbally or physically. Well, 
In actual fact, it means training or education. So it's saying here, uh, despise not or don't have little regard for the training or the education and don't go to pieces when God tells you your faults and wants to correct you. So this is something we really have to engage in because uh, just getting baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and becoming someone that's born of God is just the beginning. Uh, we have to engage in this process. And it says in verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son or daughter whom he receiveth. So, correction, and sometimes if we step too far out of line, the Lord has to get a bit heavy-handed with this. It's something that, um, you know, uh, God does to every one of his sons and daughters. And so we've got to be up for that. And uh, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate and not sons. And so if we don't engage with the correction and the teaching, then we lose our sonship and we become illegitimate. And we've lost our inheritance. And there are going to be people like that, unfortunately, you know. And so, you know, sometimes the correction that the Lord wants to bring into our lives can be something that we've sort of just got used to. You know, we, we, we settle into a, a lifestyle or a routine, and uh, sometimes we can be struggling with, uh, you know, the promises that are due to us as sons and daughters of God, and, uh, and we don't realize that God's trying, we're praying about things, why isn't this happening, Lord? And why, why am, I, am I getting this or getting that? And why can't I see your promises fulfilled here and there? And the Lord's saying, well, it's not me. I'm not holding back my promises from you. But I want you to change. There's something about your life that needs to change. And uh, sometimes you can't. there's an expression, you can't see the wood for the trees. You can be so close to the thing that needs to change that you don't realize it's there, you know. And we need to allow the Lord to have a good look at us and... Um, and really get in there and uh, and say and say to Lord, well, Lord, is there something that uh, you know? And this this process of change has to keep going on in our lives, you know, because we're we're changed day by day by the Spirit of God. That we might be in His image and likeness, you know, and we might uh, truly become the sons and daughters of the Living God. At, at the Lord's return, we are ready for that resurrection, you know, just as Jesus was made perfect uh, when He was raised up. We need to be have to go through this process of being perfected so that we can be raised up as well when Jesus comes there. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Just a couple more verses. It says here in verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And the preceding verses, it talks about religion not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers and various other forms of worship, you know, being undefiled by false religion. You know, come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. And in verse, uh, yeah, and I will receive you, in verse 18, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So it's almost conditional if we want to enjoy this privileged position of being the sons and daughters and really appreciating who we are, we've got to come out and be separate. We must come out and be separate. That doesn't mean, say, we cut ourselves off from the world. We, 
we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we, we've got to come out and be separate from religion and their attempt to, to, uh, to destroy our concept of who we are. And it's when we know who we are that we can be very bold and we can, uh, we can confront anybody with the gospel when we realize who we are. The same as Jesus did. He knew who he was and uh, he was able to confront anybody with the gospel and of course that's what we're called to do. Let's finish off in um, uh, 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1 it says there, 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we, of all people, that we, who were once enemies of righteousness, we were once by nature the children of wrath, that we should be called the sons of God, or the daughters of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We are a different race of people altogether. Just as the world couldn't understand Jesus, because we've been born of him, born of God, the way that he was the only begotten of the Father, but we have likewise been begotten of God by this experience of, um, of repentance, baptism in water, and uh, the receiving of the Holy Spirit with the sign of speaking in tongues. That's what we had to do in order to become a child of God. And if, you, if you're not a child of God, and you sort of believe in the Bible, or you claim to go to church, or you claim to believe in God or whatever, then you're just not in the race. There's only one way, and that is to be born of God, born again of water and the Spirit there. And it says there in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. He is a resurrected Savior. And when he comes, as we continue on, we're going to see him as he is. We're going to be resurrected like him. We're going to be like him in his resurrection. And every man, in verse 3, that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself as he is pure. And so this hope of the resurrection, this hope of the inheritance, this hope of, uh, of being uh, uh, part of that first fruits is what, is what keeps us going and what, uh, uh, and what makes us eager to receive teaching and uh, correction and guidance from the Lord so that we can, uh, be, we can engage in this process of perfection so that when Jesus comes back, you know, we're going to be like him. So, you know, we can't just sit back on our laurels and think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in the Lord now, you know. It's an ongoing thing where we search out the Word of God and um, we keep ourselves trimmed up in the Lord there so that uh, we can make sure that when He comes back, we're going to be known as the sons and daughters of God at that time as well. Amen. Amen.